564. Welcome to everybody this morning. We're glad that you're here. We've got a few visitors, a lot of people listening online. Hopefully as we speak this morning, you'll learn something. And not just learn something, but you'll be motivated to action. That's always my goal is that you don't feel preached at, that you're not feeling like you're getting corrected, but that you see what the Bible says, and then you decide, I'm going to do more than I've done before. I'm an evangelist, and I put a question mark on that. Before we get... Too far in, I want to define what evangelist is. It's just what you think it is. Evangelist is the one that evangelizes. The Greek or the Thayer says it's a preacher of the gospel. That's what we think about when we think about an evangelist. It says it's from this other Greek word, which means to announce good news or to preach especially the gospel. And so we know, kind of in the context of how's the church organized, that we've got evangelists, that their job is to announce the good news, particularly the gospel. We know that's good news. In a world that has no hope, in a world that increasingly doesn't know God, we know it's important that they get told about God. There's a special place for them to do this thing. We read about it in the Bible. Acts 21, on the next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea and entered the house of Philip the Evangelist, who was one of the seven and stayed with him. If you read through the book of Acts, you see that Philip was a, an active guy. He was one of the seven, sometimes we call them deacons, that was selected to serve the, the people in Jerusalem when things were falling by the wayside. We read about him a lot of times when we read about baptism and we read about him... Uh, with the Ethiopian eunuch. But he was also called an evangelist, particularly called out to go do a specific job. In 2 Timothy 5, Paul is writing to Timothy, who we understand was an evangelist, a young one. Sometimes we think about him being young. And here's what he tells him. Be watchful in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill or complete your ministry. So we're not going to go into all the things that doing the work of an evangelist is this morning, but the whole book of Timothy and Titus, as far as that goes, gives them specific things that an evangelist does. They've got an office and a title and a specific job to do. Ephesians talks about evangelists and the part they play as well. It says, talking about God, he, gave him, he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. So he talks about all these different things. Some existed in the, old, in, the, in the New Testament church early. Some still exist today. And here was the job that all of them had for the equipping of the saints. We understand saints is not... St. Mary and St. Peter, as, as the Catholic Church might define saints, saints is all of us. Saints is how the Bible refers to Christians, the average guy and gal, if you want to think about it that way. If we're a Christian, we're a saint. And so the purpose of these offices wasn't to do an office, 
or to have a title or to have a desk and an office that they could sit at and you could go read their name on a plaque. It was to equip the saints here all around the world to do the work of the ministry, to do stuff. <laughs> and, and we've got a long, long history, if you want to call it a heritage, because it's been set for many years before probably all of us were born, that our congregation understands what grassroots is. I can't think of a better way to, to describe it, that you see what needs to be done, and you don't wait around for a call from a secretary or a deacon or an elder and then go do it. You understand the importance of looking around, paying attention, seeing what needs to be done, and doing it. Sometimes it's organized, sometimes it's not. All of those things are the heritage that we want to keep doing. The, the thing about when things just get done it becomes easy for the next generation to go, huh, things just get done. And we forget as older people, we've got to teach at whatever level our kids are, new Christians are, we've got to teach them what it means to look around and do the work of the ministry. And so the job, one job of an evangelist was to teach the saints to do the work of the ministry for the edifying, for the building up. Every single one, of, I, I want to illustrate what edifying means with a counterexample by showing you what it's not. When I was a kid, I remember driving down, and somebody from Floyd A is going to have to remember the, the, the highway number. I don't remember the highway number, but the road from Floyd Ada to Rawls, Crosbyton, you drive by a little community church called Cone. There was people there. I remember kids my age going, because somebody held a meeting, and going and visiting the meeting there. Do you know what? I haven't driven by it recently, but the last time, 15 years ago, you know what's there now? Building, <laughs> but nothing else, right? And you don't have to drive very far around. Probably a lot of you have got stories. McDonough Place. I guess it's actually the Mickey Place out at Sand Hill. You can see a church building that now is a barn because edifying didn't happen. Now, there may be other things that went into it when, when communities dry up and there's not, a, there's not a school building there anymore either. But we all understand what the opposite of building up is by looking around. A lot of us have gone and preached at places where 30 years ago they thrived. There were people everywhere. And now there's a handful of people and they're all over 70 or 80 some of you been to places where you were the youngest one there, and the next one was, I remember going somewhere, and the youngest guy was 95. <laughs> that didn't last very long. And, and that's the opposite of building up. And every single person has a part in building up is the point of that illustration. We all do, and I think we all understand that. The, the, the encouragement today is not to say you're not doing it. The encouragement is to say, let's keep doing it. Let's teach our kids, let's teach new Christians. That's the way that the body is built up, by all of us doing all that we can. But when we think about evangelists, not a new slide, that rolls around every, I don't know how many times, every service before and after. Those are the evangelists that we support. They all do a good work. Most of them have been here and preached. 
Some of them have not been in a long time. You may or may not know a couple of these guys. They are people that do the work of an evangelist. They're necessary. They're needed. What are things we need to look at when we get used to looking at names on a piece of paper or names on a slide or back on the bulletin board and back? Here's the most obvious. Evangelism is somebody else's job. It's somebody else's job. And, and here's where that bleeds over into everyday life and how it can creep in a little at a time. There's a piece of paper here on the floor. There's not today, but say there was, and somebody throws it down and 25 people walk by it because guess what? We pay a custodian <laughs> and it's somebody else's job to pick up the trash or we have a fellowship, and I eat my meal, or my kids eat their meal and leave it scattered, and they walk away. And I go, huh, somebody else's job to clean that up, right? And that bleeds over to the gospel and encouraging new Christians. Well, that must be, that's somebody else's job, right? And, and my, my encouragement or what I'm trying to get us to think about is not that every single one of us has to do every single job. The Bible's real clear that different people have different talents. And so as always, what all of us as, as adults, older teenagers that can reason, that understand you've got responsibilities, is to listen to what we're saying, look at what I'm doing, and see, is there something else I need to be doing or can be doing? Because really, these are opportunities. And the goal as parents is not to make your kids slaves or to hate coming to church because you make them not play with their friends and go pick up all the trash on the floor. That, that's not the point of it. The point is we want to keep encouraging the idea that it's everybody's job to make sure the church is successful. Physically is the way that we see it a lot of times, but it goes a lot further than that. It goes spiritually. So it's someone else's job. That's a danger of paying people because what? Those people are getting paid to do it, right? Why do I need to think about that? We're already sending, I'm already sending my money. <laughs> I've done what I'm supposed to do. Here's another one that comes to mind. Well, I'm not doing anything bad. <laughs> I'm just going home and minding my own business and doing my stuff, my going to work, doing whatever. So I don't need to do anything else. I'm busy. I'm tired. I don't know how to do something. All those are things I've said in my head before. Nobody's asked. I mean, you can keep going down the list, make up your own list of things of nobody's asked me to. I don't feel apart. There's all these different excuses that we make that really is just the devil in our head saying, I don't want to do what I need to do. And ultimately, if we're motivated to do work for the kingdom at whatever capacity it is, motivation cures everything if you got the want to it's easy to learn it's easy to do by asking somebody by watching somebody by just going and do it and learning on the fly there's a lot of ways to learn so my encouragement is not that hey somebody's bad because they're doing these things it's hey 
what am I saying in my head that's keeping me from doing what I need to do to build up the body? What am I saying in my head that I'm modeling for my kids that they're learning that church is not a place I need to put my efforts or where I want to put my talents? Look out for that. Look out for that. So in doing that this morning, I want to look at some definition that wasn't, that I didn't put in the first, that are maybe second definitions of an evangelist. Because remember the title was, I'm an evangelist? It also means a bringer of good tidings or to announce good news. And it talks especially about the gospel, but it's not only about the gospel. There's a lot of good news that we've got as Christians. What is it? Sorry to the English teachers out there. I debated back. I probably should have got some, some guidance. I couldn't remember if it was going to be what are good tidings or what is good tidings. It's kind of like data and datum, right? You'll get the point. It's good news. Good news. What do we have? We say it a lot. We've got what the world needs if they would just come and get it. And we can think of examples. The world needs what we've got, and it does. The good news is we know what that is. Some that I think of, hope. Without hope, life is miserable, right? We've got hope. The world needs hope. Because what does the world have to look forward to? Not much in this life and for sure not anything in the afterlife. Compassion. We've got people that care about us. It didn't end up that way, but I remember my dad telling the story a long time ago. He worked at the post office, those of you who don't remember, downtown. And I don't remember who he was talking to, but he related this story that they were asking why he went to church and this and that. And what he told them was, if I were to drop dead of a heart attack on the floor of the post office at 8-something Ash Street down there, somebody from church would beat me to the hospital. That's an illustration of compassion. We care for each other. We've got that, and the world needs it. Because in many cases, I'll go back to the school business, people don't have one person that cares about them. If they were, we've all been to funerals. where there's, We're there, and there's two or three other people there. Because there's nobody that cares about them. We've got that, and the world needs it. Everybody needs to belong to something. People fill it with all sorts of things. They fill it with school activities or stock shows. Used to be we'd badmouth football and all the sports, not too many people in sports. We'd badmouth fishing. It, it really doesn't matter what it is. We fill our voids, and not so much here. I'm not saying there's not healthy amounts of all those things to do, but the world fills a void of needing to belong with all sorts of unhealthy things. They make themselves belong by throwing themselves into work so much that that's all they do. Or they live vicariously through their kids and their sports or their stock shows. Or they join all sorts of clubs and spend all their time doing all sorts of things. Not, a, not necessarily bad, but they devote their time and efforts to all those things because they want to belong to something. And what better place to belong than the church? That's good news. It's a place of encouragement. 
you can all think of examples where you've been beat down by something that week. There's a lot of things that do that. Health and conflict and you name it. Uncertainty about the weather and farming, you know, all the stuff. And guess what? You can come to church or be around church people and you can get encouraged. The world doesn't get that. That's good news. What kind of hope? We read this a lot. I think we've read it in the last few weeks. 1 Peter 3 and 15, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that's in you with meekness and fear. <clears throat> we get in our mind defense, and we think about an argument and a fight. And really, the definition, there's several, but the, the easy definition of a defense is a reason statement. You know, the world doesn't need a fight. Not many people have con been convinced by getting fussed at. <laughs> now, I fussed at my kids and got what I wanted before. But in the end, as adults, can you ever remember a time you got yelled at and it made you want to do what they wanted you to do? <laughs> or somebody out-talked you or all the things. It's really not an argument or a fuss or a fight. It's a reason statement. Why do I have hope? <laughs> And the list that I just gave you, that's probably my top four. That's why I have hope. Ephesians 2 and 11. I'm sorry, Titus 1 and 9. Holding fast. Didn't read my title. Here's what 1 Peter 3 doesn't say. Because we get it in our head that that's somehow telling us to go take care of all the problems of the world and convince everybody, and we get in our head that, well, I can't tell anybody the hope because this is going to turn into an argument. What it doesn't say is that I've got to go convince them of anything. <laughs> Here, particularly, that job's given to the elders. And it's not necessary to everybody in the world. It's to people that are here trying to convince us to do wrong things. What he tells elders is holding fast the faithful word as he's being, been taught, that he may be able, by sound doctrine, to exhort and convict those who contradict or as we read in the Old King James, and sometimes I think that makes us want to be in a fighting mood, exhort and convince the gainsayers. A gainsayer's got to be really bad, right? But as saints, if we'll think about our job is to give a reason, a reasonable explanation of the hope that's in us, we're a bearer of good news because the world needs hope. A bearer of good news. An evangelist, right? Ephesians 2 and 11 Therefore, remember, sometimes we go, There's, I can't tell people that. You know, they don't want to hear it. Go down the line. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision made in the flesh by hands, last time I checked, there's probably not a single person of Jewish ancestry in the building. He's talking about us. Remember, maybe I can't because I was raised as a little boy and I remember coming to church my whole life, but people who weren't raised in the church, maybe they've got a better memory of what it was like to be, as it continues on, at the time without Christ, being aliens, foreigners, not belonging anywhere from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God. That's where the world finds themselves. And we've got 
the hope. Every single one. We've got it or we wouldn't be here. We've got the hope that's the good news for them. Because now in Christ, you who are once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The hope is that Christ's blood is for everybody. And they need it. And they need to hear your hope. What's something else that hope gives us? Proverbs 10, the hope of righteousness will be gladness. There is no reason, <laughs> no physical reason, no spiritual reason that we ought to be pessimist. I know some Christians that are. At least if you talk to them, you'd be convinced that they were. <laughs> but there's no reason in the world. We have hope. You know what? When it hails out my crop, I've got hope. Hopefully you've got insurance too. <laughs> when I'm sick and my health is going bad, and I've got hope. Now, sometimes you get well, sometimes you don't. But guess what? Still got hope. I can be glad. And if you find yourself always down in the dumps and always having the, the last negative word to say, remember the hope of the righteous is gladness, but the expectation of the wicked will perish. Be optimistic, but don't think it's just about this life. 1 Corinthians 15, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiable. It's great to have hope in a good life. It's, it's great to have all the blessings we get physically, but there's a whole lot more to that. We've got a hope of eternal life. And Every single one of us has it or we wouldn't be here. And it's good news, and we need to be willing to tell other people about it. Acts 24 and 15, I have hope in God that they also, themselves also accept that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. Our life just isn't about what happens physically to us. We've got hope after we die. We've got hope to see our loved ones that have passed before us. We've got hope to meet the saints who've gone on before us that we never knew, but we've read about. There's all these things that the resurrection gives us hope for, and the world needs that. We have hope of the promise, as it says in Acts 26 and 6, that God made all the way back to Abraham in the book of Genesis, that through his son, all nations would be blessed. Even though none of us is a Jew, we don't have any Jewish blood or Hebrew blood running through our veins. We've got hope that we wouldn't have had without the promise that God made. And that hope causes us to try to live a pure life. In 1 John 3, and everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. We say it over and over, almost in a way that there is no hope, that boy, the world sure needs God. <laughs> when we really ought to be saying it full of hope and optimism, the world needs God. And guess who knows God? Not writing them off and saying, boy, the world needs God. Because that's how I've said it a lot of times. And that's how I hear it prayed a lot of times. That maybe God will somehow strike them with a piece of lightning. Something in their life will happen. And I'm not saying some rock bottom things don't have to happen for some people to change their minds. But in many ways, when I say it that way, what I'm doing is absolving myself of the responsibility of telling the good news, telling the hope to other people, because we all know people that will listen. Hope gives us peace. Coulter had a study about peace. 
the other day. No, who was it? Matthew had a study about peace the other day. That's what happens when you ad lib, especially when you get over 55. Things start slipping sometimes. Romans 15 and 13, Now may the God of hope, because we have hope, he can fill us with all joy and peace in believing that we may abound in hope. We don't have to cower around and wonder what's going to happen to us. We can abound in hope. The hope that it's not just about now. The hope that it's not just about this year or the hope that it's about this lifetime. It's a hope that's forever. And that's good news that we need to be telling other people because it gives us a peace that is not explainable. We can't understand it if we think about it as the world thinks about it. Because what does the world do when their loved one dies? They cry and they have no hope. What does the world do when their crop is held out and they have a huge financial or they lose their job? They have no hope and so they lose heart. There's all sorts of bad things. Because the peace of God is not about the here and now. The peace of God's about something way bigger than that. And that's the good news. Compassion is another thing that, that I, if I'm asked for the hope that's in me, is compassion. I've got people that care. Not just my family. You know, most people would go back to their, I've talked to a lot of people, and near, nearly everyone, no matter how awful they might be and the awful things they might have done, they all go back to their mother or their grandmother who really made a difference. And they love them because they had compassion on them. They took care of them. And no matter how bad the person might be, they're going to take care of their mother. But that's it. <laughs> they have nobody else. They need a community, a group of people that shows compassion. And why do we show compassion? Because we have a high priest that was the ultimate compassionate person. Seeing then that we have a high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Don't waver off of what our hope is, for we don't have a high priest that cannot sympathize with our weaknesses. Jesus knows us. He understands the struggles. He sympathizes and has compassion on our weaknesses. Who was in all points. He was tempted just like we were yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time and need. People in the world are hopeless. They have nobody that cares about them. What better way to share the good news than to know, guess what, you belong and have people that care about you. And not only us, but God cares. Physically, in Matthew 9, verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, Jesus was moved with compassion for them. Because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Had a realization, probably my second year of being principal. Had 450 kids, give or take a few. And there's always a handful, those of you that have been in the school business, there's always a handful that they're frequent flyers. You see them every, seems like you see them all the time. You turn around and it's so-and-so again, so-and-so again. And they wear you out. Just like your own kids wear you out, only there's 400 of them. And so this kid is in there, and I'm just worn out. I'm just ready to give it to him. No, I can't, but I'm ready to. And I don't know what, somebody said something or it just hit me. And this was a kid who was raised by a grandmother, great-grandmother, had done bad in school his whole life, you know, the whole sad story. And it hit me that, you know what, if he was raised at my house, you know who he'd be like? 
my kids. <laughs> no guidance. He was scattered like a sheep that had no shepherd. Nobody was taking care of him. Nobody had compassion on him. His, you know what his grandmother told me and the counselor sitting there face to face with him sitting right there? He's 11 years old. I told him if he did it one more time, he's out of here. He's out of here. Now, that's pretty extreme, but the world needs compassion. They need people that care. And that's good news, and that's what we can tell them. 1 Peter 3 and 8, Finally, all of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another. Keep doing what we're doing. If you're not doing, if you don't feel compassion towards other, figure out how to do it. Ask somebody. Start doing stuff. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted to each other. Be courteous to each other. Anybody ever heard that manners are a thing of the past? Be nice. <laughs> the world needs that. Not in a sense of, boy, the world needs that, and we write them off. But we can give them hope. And if we have an influence on them because we've given them a hope, guess what? We change the world. But do you know how the world gets changed? One person at a time. <laughs> There's no rocket science to us to it. There's no rocket science. One person at a time. Our friend, our coworker, our family member, they need what we've got. And the saints can tell them. It's not somebody else's job. You know how to do it. <laughs> Romans 8 and 15. People need a place to belong. For you didn't receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. I can't have a true sense of it like some people can. There's people here that have been adopted, some that are old, some that are young. It's fixed to hit my family. Many of you know that... That's going to hit my family here pretty quick. It's a blessing. Sometimes adopted kids don't think that. They feel like an outsider. But here's, here's the truth of the matter. Just like the Gentiles had no hope. They were outsiders. They could be doing the right thing, and they had no hope because they didn't belong. You know what the Jews would do? Kind of like the Jew did the Samaritan in the, in the parable of the Good Samaritan. He'd look at him there laying hurt and nearly dead. And he'd walk over here and go to the other side so he didn't have to mess with him. <laughs> but guess what Jesus did? He gave us a spirit of adoption. We understand that physically that we did not belong. And now we've got a family. Someone who cares and someone who loves and someone who's going to raise us as their own. And most of the people in the world don't feel like they belong. And they try to do it with gangs and motorcycle clubs and fishing clubs and service clubs and you name all the stuff. They need to belong. And we've got to remember, we didn't belong. We wouldn't have belonged except God gave us his son so that we can be adopted, so that we can cry out as foreigners and aliens, Abba, Father. A spirit of, a, a term of endearment. Like saying, Daddy, I love you. I belong. It's something God planned from the beginning. Ephesians 1 and 5, having predestined us to adoption, he knew it all along that we who didn't belong would belong as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will. 
That's good news. Sometimes when I describe, I can think of a number of things where early in marriage, I'll go back 30 years, 35 years, where it just seems like we were at odds with each other in school. We were both in college at the time. It seems like everything was pulling us this way and that way. And it seemed like if we could just make it to Wednesday night and we could sing, we could be around people that liked each other and were nice to each other, that it'd just give us a boost that we needed. Exhort, sometimes we get things in our mind. Exhort, what it really means, it kind of combines several of these ideas. It means to call to one side. Exhort doesn't just mean to say, oh, you're doing a good job. It really means to bring somebody right here so that you can help them, to call for them, summon them. So when it says, I exhort you, it's not a spirit of, you shouldn't be doing that, or even an experiment, a, a situation where he's saying, you know, I encourage you. It's, it'll be fine. Go ahead. It's really the idea of calling someone to your side. Mentoring might be a way to think about it. It's making somebody belong and feel a part. We're all on the same team. We're all part of the same family. We pray that a lot, and we, we demonstrate that a lot. And what more good news does someone need who doesn't belong anywhere than to hear the good news and see the good news and experience the good news of being part of a family? 1 Thessalonians 5 and 14, Now exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all. All the things that we do for each other. But exhort one another daily while it's called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. Now think about what exhort means, to call to one side. It doesn't mean, boy, I caught you in a sin, you get with it. It means to call to one side. It means to have a relationship with somebody and call them to your side and try to help them. That's what exhort really means. The world needs that. It's good news. So what's a practical application? And don't worry, I'm halfway through my slides, but the next ones are going to go really quick. New converts. We think about what an evangelist's job is going to make converts. I look back in the history of my life, and I'm going to name some names, not because there's something special necessarily, but a lot of work has been done over the years. I remember Jay baptizing hundreds of people. I remember Dee studying with drug addicts out at the rehab center and people coming to church. Van baptized a bunch. Henry and Neil get, bringing folks from McDonald's and studying with them and they're getting baptized. And a lot have. We're going to talk about the jail in a little bit. A lot have been converted, but it's always a struggle to keep new converts. And what do they need more than anything? The good news, right? Some of the things we've talked about. And they need additional care. Y'all know about five or six years ago, it's probably been 12, 10 since I've been going to the jail. J.W. Hamby and Herb Purden have been doing that for years, 30 years, give or take. I don't, don't know the exact year. Have been going to the jail for many years, and I started going with them knowing that they were elderly and that they weren't going to be around forever. Now, Herb is still here. He's probably listening in on Zoom this morning. So, But Brother Hamby passed away years ago. Time gets away. It's probably been five, six, maybe. We've got a group that goes to the men's side. Not calling their names out to make them anything special, but we've got a group that does that. 
recently in the last year. Pam Hamby has been going for years, but another group of ladies here has been going to the jail as well. Those names plus some others that haven't had the opportunity yet just because there's so many slots and so much time, but they're willing and want to. And, and here's what I'll say about the jail. The term jailhouse Christian's real. You've all heard that. But it's also a field that is white. If you think back to the parable of Jesus, there are people that are hungry for what God gives them. And I'm going to click through these slides and read maybe a first name. This is since February of 2023. What is that, six months? You're going to see 25 slides because there's been 25 people baptized from the jail in seven months. The field is white. They need what God offers them. And so you've got Boises and Carlos and Marguerite and Reuben and Jeremy and Carlos and Ileana and Brianne and Mariah and Veronica and Cammie Ray and Jonathan and Fabian and Arturo and Jessica and April and Brittany and Shantavia and John, and you'll recognize the last name, brother of Joe Carrasco, and Brandon, and Tori, and Misael, and Jose, and Ossier, and Raphael. 25 names that have all accepted the gospel. And guess what? Just like over the past, since the beginning, it's hard to keep new converts. It's hard. And I ask you, what did you see when I flicked through those names? When I flicked through those pictures and you saw a name, did you see an inmate? Because they all were, every single one of them. Actually, the ladies were baptized out at the jail. But all the men, they were in this building. Guess how they got here? They got out of a van with shackles on their feet and handcuffs on their hands, handcuffed to a leather belt around their waist. Did you see an inmate or did you see brothers and sisters? That's what they are. They're brothers and sisters. And I'm only speaking for myself. I remember when Dee was brought, I don't know how many guys you brought from Serenity House, Serenity Center, a lot, 10 or 15, 20, over a period of years. What I got in my head was, oh, well, there's another one. <laughs> Wonder how long till they won't show up anymore because they'll be back on whatever they were on. I look back and that was awful. <laughs> What more could I have done? A lot. <laughs> because guess who they are? They're not drug addicts and inmates. They're brothers and sisters. And guess who has an obligation to brothers and sisters? Now, I'll take the blame because you didn't know who they were, did you? <laughs> so we're going to do a better job of telling you who they are. And our job is to get them here <laughs> and to keep them here because... What does the world need more than anything? They need God, right? And we've got the good news. So what can you do? Not rocket science, and it's not hard. Talk to Jimmy, because who? I mean, he's the best guy we know that's been in jail, right? I guess I just kind of put it together, did some research, talked to him. When it was all said and done, he kind of gave his story, so many of you heard it, but he was incarcerated 17 years 
from 1999 to 2017. That's a long time. (laughs) 2018, when he came here, he'd been out of jail a year, right? Less than a year, probably. You know how he stayed. Now, maybe he had the roots because his parents and grandparents might have been in the church. But you know what he told me? I think he told us all, but I asked him again because some guys were baptized while he was still here, and we talked about it some more. What got you through that? Because no matter what, my, my dad used to talk about Holiday Inn South over here. <laughs> and we talk about how easy they've got it in prison these days. and all. No matter what, I promise you, none of you would want to be there. <laughs> Maybe for an hour or two, because <laughs> I know I'm getting out. I sure wouldn't want to spend the night there. Dorm full of 20 guys on a hard bed. Makes a dorm bed look really nice. Awful. What got him through? His grandmother wrote him letters. He said he looked forward to those, and that's what got him through. Basically two things. said she loved him and had notes from the Sunday sermon. And so that's what I'm asking. Don't need everybody. Writing is a pretty slow, but it's a lost art. I'm not sure anybody. You can type it. You can do it on a computer. What I'm, what I'm asking for, action for this particular thing, if, if several of you would be willing to write letters, we'll even make, we've got a form letter that can start it out. No personal information. What we want to encourage these guys with, and ladies, is you've got a community of people that care about you. Now, is it much when it's a letter that goes back and forth and it may take two weeks? It's not a lot, but it's more than nothing. And it's what Jimmy said got him through. Somebody cared about him. And if we can get them here because somebody cares about them, then we've got a chance, right, Brother D? <laughs> it's hard to get them back. But everyone is a place that we make and change the world or somebody's world, right? So early on I said, I'm an evangelist, and I want you to think. You probably went, what in the world is that? I'm not an evangelist, but guess what? We've got the good news. You've got the good news of hope and a sense of belonging, of encouragement. So I hope you're not thinking of it now as a question, but you're thinking about it like this. I am an evangelist. And it's not, oh no, what do I do with it? It's excitement that you're encouraged because you've got exactly what the world needs and you're able to give it to them. Because every single one of us has something to offer and the world needs what we have to offer. That's the sermon for the morning. I hope you've been encouraged. I hope you've been motivated to go do more. I hope I'll get three or four volunteers or five or six volunteers to help write letters because the world needs what we've got. If there's some way that the the church can assist you this morning, If you need the prayers of the church, if you need to be baptized, please come while we stand and sing.